Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Abian. Uh, top of the new year. Hope everybody had a uh, lovely holiday and has a healthy, wealthy, and wise 2024. Um, as far as uh, the situation in Chicago and Illinois, if you uh, sort of clicked off for the last uh, 10 days or so, yeah, you know, we come into 2024 the way we left in 2023 to no surprise. Why would anyone change course? And uh, the only uh, wrinkle with respect to one of the regional problems. Oh, and it's a regional problem, in case you didn't know. The wrinkle is now we're getting the planes, trains, and automobiles bringing migrants from the border to the greater Chicagoland area. We've reached the point we told you we would reach several months ago where, as per usual, what the city of Chicago does, what... uh, Uh, The city of Chicago political class has learned going back to uh, the Daly era, old man Daly, is uh, Chicago is not Chicago, it's Chicago land. And so one of the things that we can do uh, in Chicago is we can socialize our problems to the region. And so that's exactly what's happened with migrants. Hello, DuPage County. And the drop-offs in Hinsdale and Downers Grove and Glen Ellen. I love the stories uh, over the holidays of migrants being dropped off in buses in places like Kankakee or Woodstock. Oh, yeah, regionally. Not just for Cook County, not just for uh, the uh, uh, Collar Counties, exurban areas, too, like Kankakee. And the bus driver saying, oh, this is Chicago. And um, he's right. The bus driver was absolutely right. It is Chicago because the whole state is Chicago. It was made so when a Republican governor, the bipartisan combine, as it is, made Illinois a sanctuary state. Yes, we're a sanctuary state. It's not just a Chicago and Cook County problem. We're not a sanctuary city in Aurora, said the Aurora City Council. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Welcome to the party and now we we have finally is these municipalities in the chicagoland region passing resolutions substantively similar to what i proposed back in october when everyone could see this was coming who's paying attention now we're getting the resolutions at the municipal level in tinley park and uh throughout the region that's how, you know, here's the executive order on unscheduled bus drop-offs and this and that and so on and so forth. Right, because that's Illinois to a T. Until it is howling in the middle of my living room, I won't pay attention. Well, it is now, isn't it? And over the, the uh, break, of course, 
What was BLM Branded doing? Well, he was making the rounds mainly on CNN to uh, double down, triple down, quadruple down on the policies. It's not anything that he's doing. It's not anything that we're doing in Chicago land. Chicago land. Not anything we're doing. It's what's not being done at the federal level. And, of course, it is, it's what's being done by uh, governors like Greg Abbott. So let's go in you know, reverse chronological order. We'll start with BLM Brandon's first appearance on CNN, where he uh, defined what a, a breaking point is. What's the breaking point? When he talks about a breaking point, what is it? The technical support that we receive from the federal government, we appreciate that. Uh, work authorization to put people on a pathway to sustainability, I certainly appreciate that. And without real significant um, investment from our federal government, it won't just be the city of Chicago that won't be able to maintain this mission. It's the entire country that is now at stake. But in no way um, what the state of Texas is doing um, is helping the cause. As much as we recognize that there are challenges, significant challenges at the border, and we do need real substantive immigration reform and policies that allow us um, to have a structure and a pathway mm -hmm. um, to citizenship. But again, sending buses all over the state of Illinois and all over the country is reckless and, quite frankly, is dangerous. There you go. One way to address the breaking point pathway to citizenship. Okay, so there's, there's plank one. Um, he's also doing something locally. He's not just waiting for the pathway to citizenship to be uh, advanced by Congress. He's doing his part locally. In order for us to have a better, stronger, and safer Chicago, it really requires the full force of government. We have stood up an, an entire office dedicated to reentry. So individuals who are returning to our communities who have been incarcerated because of failed policies, uh, we'll have a welcoming space for them. I've added a, a half a million dollars for restoration and reparations to address, again, the cycle of violence, which looks like school closings, closing of mental health facilities, of which I've invested in now. And so in order for us to build a better, stronger, safer Chicago, it requires investments. And that's what this budget has done. Um, so uh, part of addressing the breaking point issue, uh, reparations and restoration payments for ex-cons who are ex-cons because they've been failed by public policy. You jotting all this down? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Half a million dollars for reparations for ex-cons. And welcoming spaces for ex-cons. Welcoming spaces aren't just for migrants anymore. They're for ex-cons to the extent that anybody goes to prison anymore in the city of Chicago and Cook County. All right, so there's a pathway to citizenship. Reparations and restorations, plus a welcoming space for ex-cons to address the breaking point. Whole of city approach, of course. Um, and uh, went on a little bit more. He was joined a little bit later in the week on CNN by his uh, comrades in arms, Eric Adams, mayor of New York, Mike Johnston, mayor of Denver. Wait till you hear what Mike Johnston has to say. I know we've heard a lot from Adams. Wait till you hear what Mike Johnston has to say, Denver. Uh, again, the breaking point that they keep talking about. You know, we we have infrastructure in our local communities um, that are not designed um, to carry such a, uh, a burden. Um, local municipalities are not structured um, to be able to carry the weight of a crisis like this. And I've sent a, a delegation uh, to the border um, to see firsthand uh, what our bordering cities are experiencing. And what we have said repeatedly is that there has to be uh, better coordination. 
Um, and without a coordinated operation, um, this is going to crush um, local economies because there is a financial responsibility um, that we have all taken on. And look, the bottom line is this, for, for at least for, for my experiences, is that we have a governor um, in Texas um, that is governing out of fear. And what we need right now, we need sound minds. And that's why I'm grateful uh, for the leadership of Mayor Eric Adams and the leadership of uh, Mayor Mike Johnston, uh, because we are working collectively together to be able to bring some structure around this crisis. And how's it going? Uh, I love this, these generic uh, descriptions of the breaking point and the crisis that we're facing and so on and so forth. Really, the city of Chicago government is not equipped to handle uh, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 people coming in? What if uh, 30 or 40 or 50,000 people um, migrated from surrounding states to Chicago? Well, what's the delta, I guess, between those two groups? Why is the city not equipped, as you say? Oh, by the way, uh, you may have also read that BLM Brandon is repurposing $90 million in COVID funds to be migrant funds. Oh, money's fungible. COVID funds, unused COVID funds, return to the federal government? <laughs> the heck you say. Mike Johnston, mayor of Denver, since he was invoked. Uh, He's not here to tell you just about the breaking point. He is here to tell you what is and isn't un-American. And let me tell you something. If you're not on board with the Johnston Adams Johnson program, you're un-American. There's nothing more un-American than allowing someone to come to this country and pursue the American dream. And then once they get there, denying them the chance to work. Uh, What we need is everyone that gets paroled into this country should have the ability to work as soon as they enter. They should have federal dollars to help support them in the cities that they arrive in. And we should have a coordinated national plan for where those folks arrive. I mean, Mayor Johnson in Chicago talks powerfully about America knows how to do this. We did it when we helped relocate refugees from Ukraine. We did it when we relocated refugees from Afghanistan. We had a coordinated system. Everyone had work authorization and we had federal support. uh, And that worked miraculously and beautifully. We know we can make it work here, too. And that's what we want to see our Congress do. That's why we're pushing Congress to act on those things. It's really remarkable. I mean, you see the pictures from the border, thanks to Bill Malugan's reporting over at Fox and so on and so forth. And uh, for Mike Johnson, the mayor of Denver, to compare Uh, the uh, situation with Afghan refugees, um, not really refugees, mainly uh, Afghan uh, Afghanis who helped America, American troops, worked with American troops on the ground during our uh, presence there 20 years. And uh, they face uh, execution at the hands of the Taliban. And we have we made commitments to them. And so we're bringing them here many times connected with family and so on and so forth to compare that or Ukraine again connected with family uh, in a situation where they're being you know bombed into oblivion by uh, an invading force and you compare that to people who are economic migrants I don't again begrudge them for seeking a better uh, life in this country as opposed to uh, you know the countries they're coming from in the developing world but to compare those is more offensive to me than BLM Brandon's blathering on about reparations and restoration payments and welcoming spaces and so on and so forth. Um, You see, Mayor Johnston and uh, your partners in crime, and I do mean crime there, Adams and Johnson, uh, there is no 
limiting the population that is coming through the southern border. We the the populations in Ukraine and uh, from Afghanistan are defined. They're limited. We know what they are. We have a, a a substantive basis to make those decisions and commitments consistent with honoring those decisions. And here we have signals being sent by people like them to the world over. Come on over. We're being uh, allowed in and then not allowed to work. Being allowed in, that's just because this, the federal government, with the support of these mayors and blue state governors, their blue state governors, are just saying, come one, come all. And then they want the country to pay for it. They want to socialize their problems the way Chicago does to the suburbs to the entire nation. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning and top of the year, Dan and Amy, we're talking about uh, the socialization of migrant relocation to Chicago land now, as was inevitable, as we told you would happen. Over the holidays, it happened in um, some uh, significant degree. It's uh, migrants, migrants everywhere, and not an awful to think that I mean, to think my that is. God, they landed in Hinsdale. Since I spoke with you, they had 49 buses have arrived at train stations in DuPage County containing 2,081 passengers. Migrants, migrants everywhere, yeah. and not an awful to thank. Uh, pardon my Coleridge there. So where are they? Um, Hinsdale, Glen Ellen, Oak Brook, Downers Grove. Uh, we've, we've got the reports. I posted some of them uh, over the holidays, the EMRS reports of the trains and buses and planes bringing migrants all over to the suburbs. Elmhurst, Oak Brook, where are you? Yeah. How's it going out there? 312-642-5600, Turnkey Depro answer line. 64636DA, Turnkey Depro text line. I got to tell you, it was so bad that the Grundy County Sheriff, did you hear what he did? My sister's driving back from St. Louis, and on the I-55 billboard, you know how they have those digital signs? It said, no migrants drop off on this exit. Here he is. Law enforcement officers are to respond to that area, speak with the bus driver, make sure that they know where they're going, and try to encourage them to keep going. 
Yeah, just send everybody to Chicago. That's like, what Woodstock and yeah, and Grundy's uh, like or you. or you drop them off and you tell them they're in Chicago because uh, what's the difference? They basically are. But they're wearing blankets. I mean, the people in Hinsdale were all up in a flutter. Their panties were in a bunch. Like, but they they're not properly dressed and they're wearing blankets. Well, exactly. Oh, yeah. We'll take we'll take them in. Yeah, take your houses are big enough. They could set up tents in their front yards if they want to. Uh, we were talking uh, before the break about um, the. Um, uh, media forays of one BLM Brandon over the holiday uh, talking about the breaking point and how somehow uh, a city of uh, 2.7 million, a region of 8 million, can handle a few tens of thousands of migrants without crumbling under the weight. doesn't sound plausible to me. That's because it's not. Um, and uh, describing what's going to be done in response to the lack of infrastructure. And the response to lack of infrastructure is $90 million in COVID funds being repurposed uh, to migrants and and rattling your tin can in front of Jelly Belly and rattling your tin can in front of Biden and coming up with half a million dollars for reparation payments to ex-cons. I don't know what that has to do with this topic, but uh, he chose to introduce it, did BLM Brandon. And, of course, demonizing uh, Greg Abbott and... The right as somehow the responsible party here, as BLM Branded did on CNN. What is very clear is that not only are we providing uh, mental health related services, as well as vaccinations and health screenings and providing um, me- medical health care for these families when they arrive, the moment they get off those buses, we're not seeing that same treatment on the border. In other words, there's no health screenings, no vaccinations. That process at the border is absolutely raggedy and, and reckless. But we cannot have a governor who decides that he's going to uh, cling to the vestiges of Jefferson Davis when we should be um, pulling to the hopes and aspirations that were left by Frederick Douglass. We have to have a coordinated response to this humanitarian crisis. We cannot allow chaos to dictate and to divide this country. (laughs) Of course, he'd bring up Jefferson Davis. I mean, everything's about race with this guy. He has no Uh, clue what he's doing. And at the border, if if he would have gone because he had an opportunity... I mean, they don't have time to screen people, health screenings, vaccinations. Is he out of his mind? They, they can't do They're just getting them across and trying to process them and try to pick out the terrorists. Uh, we'll talk to more about this to a former CBP head, uh, Mark Morgan, at the bottom of the 6 o'clock hour. But let me just offer something uh, in the new year just to frame everything that a lot of, not everything, but a lot of what we're going to be discussing in the new year and this election year. Um Brandon Johnson, BLM Brandon, and Eric Adams, and that uh, Mike Johnston, the mayor of Denver, who all appeared together, we were talking about before the break, before the news, and so many of these other open borders, pro-lawlessness, scientific socialists, and that's what they are. Scientific socialists is a term that was created by Marx uh, to describe Marxism. So these are revolutionary identitarians, but that's revolutionary Marxists. And they're sympathizers and they're financiers like Jelly Belly, who's just a a completely vacuous and empty vessel. He will do and go and underwrite whatever he needs to do and go and underwrite in order to aggrandize himself. But there were financiers of these Marxist uh, insurgents and revolutions and the West from time immemorial. This is who they are. 
So understand what they're actually interested in doing. They say they're here to save our democracy. And you'll hear this with the main secretary of state when we get to that topic a little bit later. There are everybody here. All these individuals are going to save our democracy. But the unstated aim of their stated philosophy is to end our small r Republican form of government. That's the aim of the philosophy to which they cling. So how are they going to save something that they came to dismantle? They're not. And this is not a situation of the uh, they're coming to burn the village to save the village. No, no. They're coming just to burn the village, full stop. These mayors you heard from over the holidays, this president who's a dilettante and essentially, like Pritzker, an underwriter of these forces, they are coming to burn the village full stop. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, Richard in Blue Island. Hey, Dan and Amy. I think uh, BLM Brandon remastered an Alice Cooper song called Welcome to My Nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Thanks for the call, Richard. Uh, Karen and Beecher. Oh, my goodness. Good morning, Dan. I have never missed your righteous indignation more than I have during this holiday absence. And your clarity, your clarity. Um so down here in Little Old Town at Beecher, uh, the uh, headline on our Beecher Vedette was Asylum Seekers Are Trying to Find Their Way Through the South Suburbs. I yep. take great umbrage at that title. First of all, Beecher is not a South Suburb. <laughs> we are part of Eastern and South Will County. Mm-hmm. I've been fighting that for 23 years, but whatever. But Asylum seekers? No, they're illegals. They come. They were uh, trained in uh, and dumped off at the University Park uh, yes. train station. Mm-hmm. Right. They did that ordinance just like you uh, had on your Facebook page? Oh, a little bit too late. And then they're all walking down. Uh, uh, 50, Route 50, and uh, Governor's Highway, and I am the greatest Scrooge of the world because I refuse to use any other word but infiltration or illegals, and I don't care. I'll take the slings and the arrows, but what a great gift to me that I have your righteous indignation. Thanks for the call, Karen. Well, here's the thing. Don't focus on the migrants because, I mean, for the most part, we we don't know. We don't know who's here to do, uh, who's here to pursue a better life and who's here to do harm. We don't know because um, how would we when the policy is to create two million gotaways since this president has been in office? So here's what I would suggest, though. Your local communities, now that this has metastasized throughout the region, You know, and they tell you with their signage in their yards, you know who the uh, the 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 active wearing P hat donning open borders crowd is in your town. Escort a migrant to their doorstep. 
um, this person is looking for shelter. I know that you're a proponent of this person being in our country, so I figured I would give you the opportunity to live your values. Um, focus on the awfuls, the angry white leftist females uh, and the um, male impersonators they're married to. In the communities in which you live, in the neighborhoods in which you live, you know who they are. This is a moment. Well, this is a moment to be proactive. And also focus on your city leaders, black, white, whatever, male, female. I mean, the Matson Village president, Sheila Chambers Curry, everybody's passing these ordinances to make sure no buses, no illegals are dropped off in their part of the world. The message is don't just drop off individuals into our community. Don't do that to anyone. It's inhumane to do that. Who cares? Who, who, who cares what she thinks? Uh, who cares? I'm just you're, that you're, every, you're, like Aurora, no, now, every single no, town village no. president or mayor is the, the, these, these ordinances. Yeah, exactly. These ordinances. Three months because it's in their living room now. Yep. They are, there's nothing redeemable about this. You're way too late. There's no foresight here. And, and all these, you know, the Dutch boy with the finger in the dike business. Forget it. Focus on who brought the policies that brought the migrants. So, yeah, is it includes your elected officials, but the same people who brought the policies that brought the migrants uh, elected most of your elected officials in most of these suburbs that are dominated by men and women of the left. There are exceptions, of course, but for the most part, you think I you think there's anything interesting that politicians like this goof from Matson have to say? Oh, now. Now you're oh this is you're going to tell me what's humane and inhumane. You know what's inhumane? The policies that you support and the politicians you support. Mayor Chalmers Curry, give me a break. And no one's calling out Biden except for Alderman Hopkins on CNN, which I was like Alderman Hopkins, which I, I know you f- hate. F- f- forget, forget it. <laughs> Focus locally. This is a moment. Which part of this is complicated? Well, if, you're not, is if, you're gonna, if you're not, if you're not going, if you're not going to bring. Hand-to-hand rhetorical intellectual combat. If you're not going to bring this to uh, people directly in where you live, in your neighborhood, don't bitch to me about Biden or Pritzker or BLM. I'm talking about where you live. In Hinsdale and Glen Ellen and Downers Grove and Oak Park. Oh, the suburbs are gone. The suburbs are gone. What are you doing about it? This is an opportunity to bring them from the train station, from the bus drop-off, and to Starbucks in downtown Hinsdale. To uh, Mrs. Smith's door in Glen Ellen, who you know, and you know exactly what she is and what she proposes. And frankly, yeah, the elected officials, too. Fine. Bring them to uh, Chalmers Curry's door. Bring them to all these state legislators' doors that were these, all these uh, scientific socialists in the suburbs that have taken over the suburbs because of, because of. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. You can also reach us on our text line, which is up and running. Six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Take action. They want chaos. Give them chaos. Yep. Here is your migrant that you sponsored to come here. I hope you're happy together. And, and again, I'm I'm not using people as political footballs or mascots. That's what they did. That's what they have done. That's what they're continuing to do. It's inhumane what Chalmers Curry supports and what all of these other active-wearing P-hat scientific socialists in the region support. That's what's inhumane. Put it right back to them. This is the moment, if there's going to be one. Sandra on 290. 
Uh, good morning. Uh, you know, at the Walgreens over there at uh, Edgewater, it, I, there's, I was trying to get into the Walgreens. There's people begging for money because they're at, the, at that park district right there. And, and this is all over. All I see them is on the corners begging for money. My, when my parents escaped communism 50 years ago, my dad slept on a billiard table the first two weeks of his life, found a job in an apartment. And he didn't beg for anybody's cash. I, so we have 50,000 people begging for money at corners and in front of Walgreens for the next how long? I mean, this is crazy. Thanks for the call, Sandra. Give them the address of where to go. Give them the addresses of where to go that you know. Of people you know that are the welcoming that want this. Welcoming places, welcoming businesses, welcoming communities. Give them the addresses. This is not on the people who have come over the border illegally or with phony asylum claims. This is on the voters, uh, the Biden, the federal minister, uh, the governor, the mayor of Chicago. This is on your neighbors. Sorry, but it is. That's the only way you become a sanctuary state, as Illinois is. This is on the people you know. Now, are you willing to confront the people you know about this? It's real easy to bitch about politicians. Well, on an ancillary issue, Alderman Lopez was on um, one of our last shows of 2023, and he said we're giving them money anywhere, and he doesn't know anywhere between 2500 to 9000 He said that's why a lot of people were sleeping in tents because they were pocketing that money shipping it home to send other relatives here why not why not not? he's like why would they you know it was warm outside it was nicer than it was on the walk up you know on the mile journeys that they took to get to the united states so uh, what are we doing we got to cut off the money supply too or if you give them a rent voucher they have to use it yeah uh, uh, okay I, i mean honestly the idea of of what we should what we have to do here with respect to border security and the the perverse incentives that we provide this is we, we, everybody gets it. It's a simple question. Just cut through all of that noise and nonsense because there's no interest in doing anything that Ray Lopez has to say or that we have to say. There's no interest in the political class in doing that. Is that confusing to anybody? You think, oh, BLM, oh, I never heard that idea. J.B. Prisco, oh, gosh, I, that is a good idea. I never heard that one before. Biden, of course not. So stop wasting your breath. Focus it locally where it matters. In your neighborhood. I mean, next door. I I know it's uncomfortable. But um, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Do do you want to take up this fight, policy fight, intellectual fight, or not? Or do you just want to take it up online and on the radio? Scott and Aurora. Hey, I think you kind of segued into my question, which was I was curious if this isn't a funny question, but if they're if they're also dropping these migrants off in Delaware, which is, you know, Biden's hometown. We've done a lot of work in uh, Glen Allen, and I've seen a lot of Biden signs out there where uh, I mean, Biden ran his campaign on this on exactly what's going on right now. They ran their campaign on. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Scott. Yeah. They, I, I oh, have there been drop offs in Wilmington. There, I I, seem, there was one, I remember. I, yeah, I seem to remember. It's like there, there was were. one in front of VP Kamala Harris's neighborhood. Yeah, more of that, too. So yeah, go oh. there, because now their minimum wage is $17 an hour in D.C. Everybody should want to go there. There are plenty of migrants to go around. All you have to do is watch Bill Malugan's reporting from the border. 
plenty of migrants to go around. And they're happy to be here. And the way to make them happier is to give them more. And the way to give them more is to make sure they get exposure to the beneficence of the wealthy dilettantes who've advanced these policies into law. Right? Joe in Hoffman Estates. Hey, good morning. I'm trying to figure out why these mayors are even uh, complaining about this when they're the one that put the welcome sign up at the front door and they expect uh, Greg Abbott to uh, bear the burden of uh, all these migrants, and he didn't. I I just can't figure this out. The argument's crazy. Thanks for the call, Joe. I don't think they're really complaining. I don't think they're really upset. I think this is mostly performative because it's a shakedown. I mean, how many times do we have to see a Jesse Jackson senior-style shakedown before we recognize the, uh, the, the fingerprints? It's a shakedown. Of course they want more migrants here, and of course they want the, them to be dependents on the state. That just uh, increases their voter base. Yep. And I'm not talking about migrants because they're migrants. I'm talking about state dependents. That's the key. That's why it's the rental assistance and this and that and more and more and more. We'll repurpose COVID funds. I need more from the state. I need more from the feds and so on and so forth. More, more, more so we can distribute more, more, more so we have more, more, more dependents. So we stay in law office for more, more, more years. They're not upset. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hey, good morning, Dan. Thanks for posting the bus schedule because um, I was out and about and uh, watched a bus turn into the Oakbrook Mall. It was it was so busy, of course, and they drove right over to Macy's, where um, the bus station is, the Pace buses are. Um, I it was unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Um, uh, people, women, were posting online here that they would have helped if they had known. Of course, they would have helped, right? People cruising through Hinsdale, walking, didn't well, Mary know where Kay, the hell Mary, they were going. Mary Kay, we're up against it. We're up against the clock, but thank you for that. But they're posting online. I would have helped if. Yeah. Well, right. you have their name. You have their name. You know who they are. Send them over. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
top of the morning, Dan and Amy. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. We think we have a goof as Secretary of State and Ali G. We do, by the way. Oh, yeah. He is a goof, a complete mimbo. But uh, uh, Sheena Bellows is uh, maybe a strong second place, if not uh, the biggest goof in a Secretary of State office in the land. She, of course, is the Secretary of State of Maine. And uh, over the um, holiday break, if you didn't hear, oh, yeah, I don't know how you couldn't have, uh, <laughs> she uh, decided uh, that Trump is disqualified from being on the ballot for president in the state of Maine. Yeah, disenfranchising and, millions of voters in the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, the explanation she offered, a noted constitutional scholar, punchline. Larry O'Donnell. The weight of the evidence, all of the evidence, made clear that Mr. Trump was aware of the tinder laid by a multi-month effort to delegitimize a Democratic election, the election of 2020, and then chose to light a match on January 6th and then did nothing for a time. The evidence presented, uh, demonstrated, and, and, and remember the events of January 6, 2021, and this was borne out by the evidence, were unprecedented and tragic. They were an attack not only upon the Capitol and on the governor, government officials there, members of Congress, former vice president, but also an attack on the rule of law. And the evidence demonstrated that they occurred at the behest of and with the knowledge and support of the outgoing president. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six da turnkey dot pro text line one of those scientific socialists going to save our democracy from us that Wait. I was discussing uh, before the break. She just unilaterally decided that Trump was guilty of insurrection, even though he's never been charged with insurrection or convicted of insurrection, and she's just a Biden loving bipartisan hack. Uh, Stephen Chang, the Trump's campaign manager has just said basically the main secretary of state is a former aclu attorney a leftist hyperpartisan biden supporting democrat who's decided to interfere in the presidential election on behalf of joe biden or crooked she, joe biden. she also ran for senate against susan collins in maine so her aspirations don't stop at the secretary of state's office this may have something to do with her decision too, her own political aspirations but you know, gosh, I certainly wouldn't want to impute anything but the most honorable motives for Secretary State Bellows. Uh, Jen Griswold, she is uh, a doppelganger for uh, Bellows. She's a Secretary of State in Colorado. Of course, the Colorado Supreme Court came to the same decision as did Secretary of State Bellows in Maine. And here's what uh, Jen Griswold had to say about uh, both bellows and the situation in colorado where despite the supreme court's decision because they've provided leave for appeal trump's name will appear on the ballot in colorado which is a super tuesday state for now uh but in maine i think shenna bellows made the right decision in agreement with the colorado supreme court donald trump incited an insurrection to try to steal the presidency from the american people section three of the 14th amendment makes it very clear Uh, that elected officials can't do that and then serve in office again. And I don't believe there should be some loophole in the Constitution that puts only Donald Trump uh, above the law and Constitution when he incites rebellion 
uh, or it incites an insurrection. Uh, the, the other thing I would say is I, I do think Secretary Bellows is brave and courageous. She is the first individual by herself having to make this decision. Uh, and we are acutely aware of the threat environment that we work in. Uh, so I commend her for her actions, and we'll see how the litigation uh, inevitably plays out in the state of Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheena Bellows is Jen Griswold's hero. I mean, they're both making women look bad. They're a bunch of idiots, and they're just trying to have their me moment in the sun and try to elevate their careers. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. I'm just afraid other states are going to follow suit. There's nothing to fear. Okay. Uh, Help help me out, Dan. I'm worried. I'm a professional warrior, as you know. Michigan, Minnesota have rejected these arguments. Even California Secretary of State uh, is... assented to Trump being on the ballot. This is this is not going to stand. And um, the hell would come if it did. But that's not the point. The point is what the underlying threat is and what this exemplifies about both the left and the right. Um, before we get to that point specifically and take some of your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswer line. Again, just in case you think that this comment or this usage of the the, uh, acronym AWFULS, angry white leftist females, and people like me who suggest that these angry white leftist females, mostly college-educated, almost exclusively college-educated, are the real threat to our representative republic, that these are, as the acronym rightly indicates, awful people. They're awfully pseudo-intellectual. They're awfully arrogant. They're awfully ignorant. And they're awfully unreasonable and thus unkind. This uh, Zoom call from October of 2021, featuring five secretaries of state, two you just heard from, Bellows from Maine, Griswold from Colorado. Let's throw in Connecticut Secretary of State Denise Merrill and Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. A handful of entitled, arrogant, ignorant, honky, college-educated, angry, leftist females. Well, what Secretary Griswold just said and named is something that was unimaginable two years ago or 10 years ago, and that is election sabotage. It is a crystal clear example of what's happening all across the country. So we need to organize to make sure we have better leaders in positions of power to fight back against that. Uh, Secretary Benson talked about uh, voter suppression and that's something that when we started our careers at the ACLU and Southern Poverty Law Center, fighting back about systematic, structural voter oppression, targeting specifically black and brown voters. It's rooted in white supremacy. That is something we have to continue to do work on. And Secretary Merrill talked about the For the People Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. We must have federal standards all across the country. And then finally, just to echo my colleagues, this is rooted in a deliberate and organized campaign to discourage people from participating in our democracy. It is an attack 
on our very democracy itself. Because when everyone participates, everything that we care about, social justice, climate justice, economic justice, we win. Those on the other side are trying to discourage people from participating. That's what this really is about. We have to fight back to protect our democracy, to protect everything. That, that's, that's such a good that point. Same, that's that same main secretary of state. Now, you want to tell me that she is not a scientific socialist, that she is not an ideologue and an apparatchik, that she's some sort of neutral election administrator? By the way, the idea that a secretary of state would uh, independently rule on the meaning of the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is so absurd, mm-hmm. it is almost unworthy of comment. But in these absurd times, I guess it is worthy of some comment. She hides behind this idea that, you know, any citizen can bring a complaint and so on and so forth. And I have to adjudicate these complaints. Um, Right. So there is something called restraint because you are in an executive position. That's frightening enough. But to usurp the authority of the judiciary is really frightening. I mean, who needs courts of law when you have a secretary of state like uh, Sheena Bellows? But she's a hypocrite. I mean, she was criticizing Governor Youngkin when he announced um, automatically restoring people's voting rights. And this is in March of 2023. This is what she tweeted out. It shouldn't be up to the governor or any other one person whether or not to have the right to vote. We are proud that in Maine, every citizen has the right to vote regardless of current or former incarcerations. She's not she's not giving people in Maine the right to vote. She's a hypocrite. And she's doing this to elevate, again, her profile. And she's been to the White House two times this year. And I mean, it's obvious what this is. Uh, We got a text message. Bellows, let Biden grab her by the ballots, not just the hand. Hi, oh, very good. Um, Something else this points to. And I just want to make this point because it's going to be a recurring one this year. And it's 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 a recurring one in terms of what we've seen for some time now. The left will exercise power it does not have when the right fails to exercise power it does. And this is what you see happening. This is a usurpation of power by the main secretary of state because in, of in so many respects of the failure of Republicans with legitimate legitimate political and cultural power to exercise that power. We see this all the time. The left will overreach and the right won't even exercise the power that is duly conferred to a particular official or to a particular cultural and political leader. And the result is this sort of chaos. And something else, too, to remember about the left Being a scientific socialist, being a Marxist, which is what that is, has a singular aim in the real world. You know, forget uh, all of Marx's high-minded rhetoric in 1848 in his Communist Manifesto or in, you know, the subsequent several decades in his uh, dissertations with Frederick Engels. It comes down to this. Singular aim. Their material well-being at someone else's expense. When they say save our democracy, they're saying save my sinecure, save my title, save my social status, save my material well-being. 
at someone else's expense. That's the whole that's the whole ball game. It's the whole thing boiled down. Antonio in Bolingbrook, you're on Chicago's morning answer. Good morning, Dan Amy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, ironic. You have an appointed Secretary of State um, in Maine. They're not elected. They're appointed. Defending democracy in our republic. And, I mean, people should really should start pushing back against people that keep claiming democracy, democracy. We're not a democracy. We may have democratic processes to elect representatives, but we are a republic. And that's part of the Marxist push of democracy. That's why the Democrat Party is called the Democrat Party. Right, direct democracy, right. Thanks for the call, Antonio, uh, as opposed to the representative republic. And, and again, the aim, unstated aim of their stated philosophy is to end the representative, small-r republican form of government. This couldn't be more clear, and it should be stated with clarity. Ray and Barrington. Well, first, it's uh, interesting to see that Clark Griswold's wife found employment in Colorado. Hi-o. Yeah. It, it, sometimes uh, you got to be stupider than them to show how stupid it is. Why don't we find some counties, Republican counties, and have a county a public official declare Biden will not be on the ballot. <laughs> All right, right. Well, I mean, and, and again, the point that was made about these uh, ballot challenges to Trump is, you know, you start having this uh, uh, patchwork of laws uh, and uh, and decisions related to interpretation of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, then you're just inviting political retribution uh, across the land and um, this is why the Supreme Court has to intervene and, and will. When Bob do you think and, they will by the end of the week? Uh, I think they will in short order, but within the deadline that was... Um, oh, that's right, uh, with, January that we, we, the, the deadline that was offered by the Colorado Supreme Court, I suspect, particularly after what happened in Maine. We, I'd be surprised if they didn't. Shouldn't Republicans fight back now and try to get Biden off the ballot? I mean, he's essentially is creating an insurrection with an unsecured border where 8 million, maybe 9 million... People are invading this country. Uh, I think I think that uh, is more the province of an impeachment discussion than it is removal from the ballot. I, I think you want to take the high high ground here and let the Supreme Court weigh in. I, I think you don't want to go tit for tat. I think you want to distinguish what the two parties are uh, and um, how they behave. The one exercising some proper restraint and the other completely unrestrained in terms of overreaching. So. This, but, but again, he would say we believe in you know the checks and balances. We believe the judiciary should be the judiciary, and executive officials should uh, operate within the confines of their responsibility to execute the law. Um, but uh, the, so that that to me is not an abdication of the right not using its political power, but it, it they should be making these arguments now to use their cultural power. To make sure that it sharp, the the distinctions between the two parties are sharpened, and thus the representatives of those parties. And it bothers me too that Bellows is being celebrated by the left, and like, oh, well, you know, we've just exclusive with her on MSNBC and CNN, and oh, please. Of course she is. Of course she is. I mean, so just like uh, Alvin Bragg is, just yeah. like Fannie Willis is, just like Jack Smith is. Any this is again the other side is ends justify the means. This is another opportunity to draw distinction. 
you want to live in a society where might makes right, then you're not going to live in a free society. And you're not going to like what follows. If you don't like what's happening now, you're really not going to like what happens, what, uh, uh, what follows. So you can't give up on elections and you can't concede to the philosophy that might makes right. Bob in Buffalo Grove. Morning, Amy and Dan. Um, good talking to you. Ha- ha- hope you had a happy new year over the weekend. And I think it might have been in a tweet. I saw a new word. Insurrection. Fed surrection. We still haven't. Uh, how much the feds were involved in uh, J6 and hopefully um, uh, gets elected or uh, we get um, um, the house to look at. We took Thanks for the call, Bob. John Piatone. Hi there. You know, I, I live in Piatone and obviously, and I, I can't help but laugh at the lady that called in from Beecher. Uh-oh, Beecher is a, an extremely left. War. Yeah. Well, they're an extremely left wing uh, community, as is Matson, as is University Park all oh, yeah. around us in Will oh, County. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, this would be my 36th election being a judge. And I was in Beecher. And because I was a Republican judge, they did all they could to get me out of there. And, and I am. I'm, I'm back in, in, in areas like Frankfurt now. But, uh, Beecher, you're getting exactly what you have voted in and you have leaned to. We laugh at you. That's all I have to say. Well, and people oh, should take them in. Sure. I mean, honestly, live your values. You've got, I mean, all these people have room in their homes. If you don't have room, make room. Turn your bedroom into a basement. Help out. Step well, up. Do your part, as Mayor Lightfoot would say. Uh, John and Piatone. I mean, Karen and Beecher is not part of that no, problem. No, she's but I, but I, but I understand your point about all what's happening to all these communities that are now crying wolf. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM five sixty, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The U.S. Customs and Immigration Enforcement Agency, ICE, released uh, its year-end report Friday. The number of... uh, People in this country awaiting decisions on their status has doubled under the big guy to more than 6 million. That's the population of Wisconsin. Uh, and, of course, what does um, Department of Homeland Security direct ICE to say? Well, you got to stay on message. While ICE carefully prioritized its resources to meet these evolving mission needs and agency personnel continue to perform at a high standard, these increased demands have strained a workforce that has remained relatively static for the past decade. What's the message there? Flying in formation. Joe Biden and Democrats will then come out and say what? Uh, more resources for the border. We want to give more resources to the border in exchange for aid to Ukraine and so on and so forth. More resources at the border. We're going to give you more resources at the border. But as we know from Tom Homan and others, what does more resources at the border mean to the open borders crowd? Nothing. Well, it does mean something. 
it means more agents to process and move migrants into this country faster. Right. They got to change their policy, not the you know number of agents down there. Listen to some of these other numbers. Uh, the number of illegal aliens kept in detention. Oh, my gosh. Do we have kids in cages? Where's the hashtag campaign? The number exploded 40 percent uh, from uh, a little over 26,000 last year to almost 37,000 at the end of fiscal year 2023, which is September 30th. Imagine what's happened in the subsequent three months. The number of illegal aliens permitted into the country without being detained leapt 30 percent to more than 6.2 million. That's double the total at the end of Donald Trump's presidency. The majority came from the southwest border where illegal crossings have surged to as many as 12,000 or more per day. Administrative arrests rose sharply. 170,000 in 2023. More than 43% of those apprehended have some sort of criminal conviction or pending charges. 43% of 170,000 that were arrested, some sort of criminal conviction or pending charges. Now, you say, oh, well, so that increased, and that's, yeah. So they got 43% of that universe of administrative arrests they made. Meanwhile, there are 6 million people in this country. So for every arrest that was made when somebody uh, apprehended with a criminal conviction or pending charges, the question, of course, is how many entered and got away who have the same or worse profiles? And the answer is we don't know. For the uh, 290,000 charges and convictions, so that average of four per individual arrested. These include many serious charges for convictions uh, like 1,713 charges for convictions of homicide, 1,655 for kidnapping, 4,390 for sexual assaults, 33,209 for assaults, 3,000 robberies, 7,000 burglaries, 7,500 weapons offenses. That's just for the... Seven, the 43% of 170,000, so about the 70,000 that they apprehended. Now spread that sort of uh, demographic in terms of criminal convictions over 6 million. What are we doing? I'll tell you what we're doing. We're making Americans and, frankly, other people in this country, even illegally, a lot less safe. And, of course, we've seen that in Chicago, haven't we? I mean, did you hear what happened outside the North Elston shelter? It's 1308 North Elston. It recently opened up. There's this 30-year-old guy, uh, Carlos, whatever, Garcia. He was jumping on cars and punching the windows out, and the cops came, two police officers. He broke a police officer's hand. And guess what? The judge let him out. And guess what? Because, you know, no bail. He didn't show up for his court appearance. No cash bail. Um Arrests he of Venezuela. Officer's hand. Yeah. Ugh. You have just in this population, you have you have fifteen hundred murderers. He, he was screaming "Te voy a matar," which means "I'm going to kill you." Arrests of Venezuelans in Chicago has surged two thousand five hundred thirty-eight percent since the uh, crisis began this year. Um, so, but I mean, just in raw numbers, it gives you an idea. As of November 12th, 
Chicago police arrested 686 people this year who listed Venezuela as their birthplace. That compares to 26 for all of 2022 and just six in 2021. So, again, we've got thousands and thousands of Venezuelans who've come to Chicago from Venezuela through the Mexican uh, U.S. border, of course. And most of them are law abiding and most of them haven't committed a crime. But that's not the point. The point is we don't distinguish between who is and who isn't, who has and who hasn't. We have no idea. And so when you willy nilly bring that massive uh, population in and you don't make those distinctions, then you make people less safe, including a lot of those otherwise law abiding Venezuelans. And tell me again how that's humane. Not to mention the number of people who killed trying to make their way from another country through our southern border. Tell me how that's humane. Tell me how it's humane to have chaos as your border policy. For more on all this, we're pleased to be joined again by Mark Morgan, of course, is the former head of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Mark, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Dan, Amy, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. And I got to tell you, as I'm listening, I'm thinking, you know what? You guys really don't need me. Uh, I I mean, (laughs) I'm serious. I I could not have explained the chaos and lawlessness that's happened on our border better than the both of you just did. Well, and and here's the response from these uh, open borders, defund the ICE once upon a time. They don't say it out loud anymore, but that's still their position. Like our mayor, Brandon Johnson, our governor, J.B. Pritzker, but other mayors, too, Adams and in New York and uh, Johnston in Denver, uh, you know, we have to provide uh, work permits immediately. We have to get federal dollars. We have to have rental assistance. We have to have shelter. We have to have wraparound services. We have to do this. We have to do that. Um, and meanwhile, as Bill malugan has been dutifully reporting for Fox News for low these many months, I mean, you have uh, congregations of people at uh, places like Eagle Pass, Texas, that he's never seen before in the tens of thousands every single day. So there's no limit to the number of people that are trying to get in because we've said our politicians have come one, come all. So the response you would offer to the the big city mayors who are uh, crying for more money from the feds. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that both of you brought to light that are very important. One of them is that this is not a resource issue, that this is a policy issue. And for everybody listening real quick, just I always like to make things as simplistic as possible. Think of it in this term. The day that President Biden took over, he had the same resources that we had under President Trump. Think about that for a moment. The same level of resources. Nothing changed. Right. With respect to that. But yet we have the the, the worst border security crisis in our lifetime. Right now, December is set to have somewhere between 340 to 350,000 toll nationwide encounters in a single 30 day period. The worst 30 day period in our nation's history since we've been collecting data since 1924. What changed? Just as you both you said policy. And every single time this administration or anyone that's speaking on behalf of this administration, they talk about how they inherited this dismantled policy. It's a lie. Because if you think about it, when they say that, they don't give you an example of, of what was dismantled in the previous administration. But we do when we say that they are the ones that took the policy that we have, this network of tools, authorities, and policies that led to the most secure border. I'll give you just a couple. The Remain in Mexico program, on day one, they ended it. The asylum cooperative agreements we had with all three northern triangle countries, they ended it. 
And I could keep going on and on. It, that we, uh, catch and release. We'd ended catch and release, which is one of the largest incentives for the flow of illegal immigration. They reinstated it. So it's, it's absolutely absurd what they're saying right now. They're lying to the American people, and they are solely responsible for the chaos and lawlessness on our southwest border. What do you say to those who say that uh, those coming to this country uh, that are here, I should say, uh, are asylum seekers and, uh, you know, they're allowed to be here. So they're doing it under color of law. And we just have to um, expedite the adjudication of their cases. If anything, you heard from Denver Mayor Mike Johnson saying, you know, the these aside, the, the, the uh, backlog of asylum cases is four years. And so you have to do the work permits and so on and so forth. So they always have an excuse to make something that's supposed to be temporary permanent. But we need a response to that. So what's your response? First of all, I would say anyone that enters the border illegally in between the forts of entry, that's a crime, number one. So what the, the end doesn't justify the means. So when you enter illegally, that's in violation of the rule of the law. It's in violation of our nation's sovereignty. We should not reward someone after the fact of what they do. That's number one. Number two, what, what, what people don't understand, 80, 85 89% of those that actually claim asylum, are not doing so valid, validly, meaning they are economic migrants, meaning they were not the specific victim of state-sponsored persecution because of their involvement in protected class. We know this. We've known this year after year, decade after decade. This administration knows that, but yet they're still releasing people that, one, committed a crime by illegally entering, and two, after the fact that they claimed asylum, they knew they were doing so fraudulently. And number three, not everybody's actually uh, claiming asylum. A lot of people don't even understand that. They're being released into the United States, and they didn't even affirmatively uh, claim asylum. And the last thing that I would say is people need to understand that illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. You both did a tremendous job explaining just one aspect of it, and that's the criminality that's pouring across our border. Every single day, the cartels use the hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens coming across as a distraction. They pull resources off the front line, leaving large areas of border wide open. The cartels exploit that to push criminals, drugs, and potential national security threats into our country every single day, all day long. Illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. Well, do you think Governor Abnett's new law, I mean, it takes effect in March, I believe, but that would authorize police to arrest illegal immigrants who come across as a state crime? Is that going to make a difference? Because I feel like Abbott's doing the job that Biden should be doing. I, I, I completely agree with this. Is that right? Unfortunately, the states like Texas have had to step up to fill the, the constitutional role that is the responsibility of the federal government that this administration has obviously abandoned. And yes, it's going to have an impact because first and foremost, it's going to be a, a significant element of an overall strategy of deterrence. So hopefully we're going to send a message to deter those that are thinking about conspiring with the cartels to illegally enter uh, the United States. But so, so I think it will have some degree of substantive effect. But, but here's what's just as important, in my opinion. I think it's going to lead to what I call a constitutional showdown. Right. Article four, section four, to your point, is it's very clear that that that, that allies it's the federal government's responsibility to defend and protect uh, our borders. If they fail to do that, the states can invoke what we call a self-help remedy under Article one, section 10 of the Constitution that says that they then can do whatever they need to do to protect their own state's border. And I think that, that, that this law, yeah, I think we're going to see it go to the Supreme Court. And I think that Governor Abbott is going to be on the right side of this. 
Uh, you know, p- part of this, too, that's really frustrating to me is the mockery they make of people who are otherwise pro-immigration and are very fair-minded, pro-legal immigration, very fair-minded, open to discussions of policy that involve nuance, but they just make a mockery of those people like me uh, and maybe even people that disagree with me on other issues but but agree on this. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, Joe Biden has declared January Human Trafficking Prevention Month um, while facilitating human trafficking and drug cartels and everything else. They just they just insult the intelligence and the uh, goodwill of the American of Americans who are reasonable on this issue. That's exactly right, because I, I and I'm with you. We, you know, look, we, we've talked several times over the past few years. I, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't join us in the demand for strong border security, because that's what's happening right now. The chaos and lawlessness is about our nation's border security, which is synonymous with national security. It's not about immigration. But that's the narrative, right? They want to erase the illegal part of illegal immigration and as if illegal immigration has no downside effect and we just described it does. We, uh, I don't know anyone who doesn't stand for strong border security we discussed that also isn't for strong legal immigration. And I think that's the frustrating part. It goes beyond insulting. It goes beyond spin. They're actually lying to the American people. They've captured a narrative. They've twisted the narrative. And they're using a narrative that actually lies to the American people every single day. Our, you, you describe our nation's safety and national security is being impacted every day because of the chaos and lawlessness, because we've incentivized and facilitated and rewarded the illegal immigration, which has degraded our ability to secure our border and to prevent bad things from coming in. They keep lying to the American people. He is Mark Morgan, former U.S. Customs and Border Protection Commissioner. Mark, thank you as always. Happy New Year. Appreciate it. You too. Thank you both. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I suppose we'd be remiss if we didn't congratulate J.J. McCarthy for the big win that Michigan enjoyed over Alabama yesterday, thanks in large measure to his performance, J.J. McCarthy, from Nazareth Academy, my mom's alma mater. Oh. Uh, J.J. went to Nazareth before COVID shut down, ended Nazareth's football season, and then he transferred to IMG in Florida, before he went on to Michigan and now is on uh, the precipice of being a national champion at Michigan. How about that story? Yeah. Well, I know his aunt. I've met his grandpa. I've been to their house in LaGrange Park. I did not know when we did this story the first time around that that was her nephew. But um, what we learned yesterday from the game, obviously he's a solid player, great family. But that when he transferred from Nazareth into uh, in the high school in Bradenton, Florida, that he suffered some depression, and they said that's how he learned how to meditate. So before the game yesterday, he sat by the goalpost and meditated because it was hard, but he did it for his sport. I mean, he had to because we were trapped here, and we had no end game of when our kids would be able to get back to playing sports. So uh, 
Against that backdrop, it's sort of interesting, this uh, panel discussion that former NIH Director Francis Collins participated in recently, in which uh, he gave the equivalent of a deathbed confession. Take a listen to Francis Collins's reflections on COVID decision-making at the height of the pandemic. As a guy living inside the Beltway, feeling the sense of crisis, trying to decide what to do in some situation room in the White House with people who had data that was incomplete, we weren't really thinking about what that would mean uh, to Wilk and his family uh, in Minnesota, a thousand miles away from where the virus was hitting so hard. We weren't really considering the consequences in communities that were not New York City or, or, or some other big city. The public health people, we talked about this earlier, and this is a really important point. If you're a public health person and you're trying to make a decision, you have this very narrow view of what the right decision is, and that is something that will save a life. Doesn't matter what else happens. So you attach infinite value uh, to stopping the disease and saving a life. You attach a zero value to whether this actually totally disrupts people's lives, ruins the economy, and has many kids kept out of school in a way that they never quite require. Collateral from. damage. So there, yeah, collateral damage. This is a public health mindset. And I think a lot of us involved in trying to make those recommendations had that mindset. And that was really unfortunate. It's another mistake we made. Okay. Um, do you accept his apology? 312-642-5600, turnkey.parancial line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro. Apology is probably too strong a word. At least his admission that a mistake was made. But I'm not sure I'm satisfied with the admission. Because I mean, my, fo my follow-up to Francis Collins would have been, you know, it's funny you say that because a lot of people were saying that at the time, like in real time. A lot of people were saying, you know, public health professionals, the epidemiologist has a particular area of expertise and a particular focus, and there's a tendency to get tunnel vision and just focus on the area you know without contemplating the decisions the impact decisions will have on all of the areas that you don't know. Well, that's number one. Number two is I don't accept that tunnel vision excuse if you're offering as an excuse. If you're asking for forgiveness, that's a different conversation. But if you're offering as an excuse, I'm sorry, you're an adult. And adults who live in the real world, whether it's sort of the – half real world of inside the beltway or not know that decision anybody in a public policy making role in particular knows that life is trade-offs anybody who's passed an econ 101 course knows that because you learn the concept of opportunity cost uh, what you do here precludes you doing something else there and so the idea I have tunnel vision this is my area of expertise the, the problem wasn't that you were supposed to be an expert in everything. The problem was the lack of humility to think, and most obviously exemplified by that sad little man, Tony Fauci, that because you have an area of expertise here, you have moral superiority, your decisions have moral superiority, and they don't need to contemplate the trade-offs. And you will feel free to opine about matters economic or educational, as Tony Fauci did. You won't stay in your lane, as most of them didn't. You will go on CNN and MSNBC 
and vilify the unvaccinated and make all sorts of claims that turn out not to be true and never reappear to address how you were wrong. No, I mean, it makes me he made a mistake. No, he destroyed millions of lives and livelihoods. More people committed suicide. They died from covid in Illinois. And shame on him. There's no remorse there. I mean, it sounded like his voice was quivering, like, uh, but he just said he made a mistake. He didn't say, I'm sorry. What did you learn from it? And could this happen again? And we're still, but here's the thing. We're still in the COVID mindset. I mean, the CDC, I just recently had five members get COVID over Christmas. What are they doing? They're, they're staying inside their house for five days and wearing masks. Like, why? Because, well, the CDC recommends it. For Chicago Public Schools, if you get sick, you have to go to the portal, log in. You are locked out of that building for five days, even if you're not sick. We're still going with this craziness because I think that they cannot walk this back because it's hard to convince people that they've been fooled for three years. But they're the ones who did the fooling and they know Uh, it. But but let's let's not overstate the case because there's no reason to. More people did not die from suicide than COVID. Well, I'm saying kids or anywhere else. Um, but but yes, I mean, the idea that it was just I mean, that's the other part of his confession that's incomplete is the idea that um, we were just focused on saving lives because we could identify this life that we saved and uh, the disruption in kids education or the economic impact. No, no, no. As we said in real time for months on end, it was always a conversation of lives versus lives. It was not lives versus GDP. It was not lives versus SAT scores. It was always lives versus lives. And he's being dishonest when he pretends that, yeah, we didn't contemplate the uh, full uh, complement of variables here to be addressed. But, you know, we were looking at saving lives and other people were looking at dollars and cents or educational uh, maturation. No, no, no. Lives versus lives. That was always the conversation, including from skeptics like me who were challenging and and others that we had on who, you know, have the same expertise as Francis Collins or Tony Fauci, who were challenging the uh, declarations that were being made, the evidence upon which they were being made and tracking every single aspect of this, just like they were with professionals that were equally credentialed. And that's all lost in this conversation. And until there's sort of a full agreement with the statements that I just made, then, I, you know, it's a good start with what Francis Collins had to say, but it's terribly incomplete for me. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Tom and us, we go. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Happy New Year to you, too. I, I've said for years that the, the problem is these politicians, public officials, one, they don't care if it affects you because they've got theirs and their lifetime insurance and, and whatnot. But there's no consequence. If they make mistakes, they usually get promoted. Whereas in the real world where I live, if you make a mistake, it's going to cost you. They don't have any consequence. Well, yeah, you're. I mean, that's a fair point, Tom. Um, there were opportunities to impose consequences at the ballot box, and um, electorates around the country rarely did. I mean, you know, it goes both ways. They rewarded a DeSantis but in Florida, but they also rewarded uh, Pritzker in Illinois, or a Newsom in California. 
uh, or a Hochul in New York. So, yeah, I mean, a part of it was because it got so politicized and because people are so um, programmed by sloganeering, the state sloganeering in particular, it sort of um, fell along philosophical or partisan lines, which is, again, one of the other things that's unfortunate. Tom and Berwin. Morning. Uh, when you're a hammer, all you see is nails. That's the, that's the example. Then the second thing, I'm going to work right now, January 2nd. Got to wear masks at the hospital again. Rush. Rush Chicago. Really? Yeah. When did they implement that? Uh, got the email on Friday. Here Thanks we go. Thanks for the call, Tom. Well, it's funny he says that, not ha-ha funny, but um, same thing happened in L.A. County. L.A. County has reinstated a mask mandate for all patients and staff at healthcare facilities in 2024 because of increases in COVID-19 cases. Wait, what, what, what are we doing? The same thing. Why? Because it worked politically, right? I just flew international, and I could not believe how many people had masks on. And now I remember I used to sarcastically, just so I could process this um, insanity, would say, oh, you're such a hero. Thanks for being heroic and saving lives. Now I walk by, I'm like, you know, those things don't work. Oh, getting a little, little. Uh, I'm getting a little lippy in my old age, Nan. Yeah. Yeah. A little. <laughs> I mean, I just think aggressive. about. Remember when they used to little chippy. put plastic bags over people's heads? Like, we, we did the craziest things. People dying alone in nursing homes, they put a plastic glove and put warm water in it. And held their hand to, you know, reenact the human contact as they transitioned from this earth. I mean, we just did such horrible things to one another. Yes. And, and now we're going to reenact this craziness and do this well, all over again. Take two. To the, to the extent that to the extent that um, Chicago or L.A. County, these hospital systems want to do that. You know, OK, fine. Good. Remind us who you are and who you were. And let's uh, refresh our recollections about all that transpired between 2020 and 2023, because it shouldn't be forgotten. What are they going to do next? Start capacity limits at restaurants and gyms again? I'm all for bringing oh, the idiot circles them. back. Oh, yeah. uh, Carol, Moments, Illinois. Hi. You know, uh, you're forgetting. No, you're not forgetting. But uh, how many millions of people did not have to die? If they had not buried all of the reports on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, I mean, it worked. I've seen it work. We out out in the country have used it successfully, and uh, it worked, and it was cheap and effective. And no, they put them in the hospital. They put them on ventilators. They died. They gave them that god-awful drug. What was it, the remdesivir? which guarantees renal failure pretty much. Uh, and no, 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 they did that. But uh, where, well, yeah. where's that? President, I mean, there were reports out there. There were reports out there, and they ignored them all for money. No, all they did it because President Trump power. took hydroxychloroquine. So then hydroxychloroquine is bad because Trump took it. Well, the, the uh, and now the CDC large, approves it. The larger point regarding the, the competing studies about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine is um, the other thing that Carol said that we have sort of memory hold ventilators. Oh, yeah. That was a huge mistake to put people on ventilators, and it was admitted to be a, a, a mistake that was made in those early days, fog of war stuff. Now, I'm not necessarily blaming medical professionals there 
who thought they were doing the right thing based on imperfect information and so on and so forth. But this is the point. This is the reason there has to be humility here is because the things that you didn't know and people that are well-intentioned professionals who made um, judgment calls that turned out to be wrong again and again. I know. I had a healthcare professional who worked at a hospital in the area who said she quit. She goes, the, the ventilators were putting on the larger people. It was crushing their windpipe. And we were killing people where we should have never put them on ventilators in the first place. Jordan Antioch. Good morning, guys. Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, this, these people, this guy, that's barely an admission of doing anything wrong. Um, and until... Until somebody wants to fire up the old Madden mobile that's sitting there parked in, 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 in Mothballs and go coast to coast and out everything that they've done and admit to everything that was done in real time, like you said, Dan, I get it. If you make a decision based on the information you're given, okay, but then when there's more information out there and you refuse to look at it and you double down, the things that they did to people, the things they did to people's lives, the, 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 just the tragic things that they have done to people all under the veil of anonymity and, 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 and complete protection by the government that was imposing this. You know what you did. You know who you did it to. And until you go out and say, I did these things and I will not do them again. And this is why we did them. And it was wrong. I don't accept an apology or anything from any of these people ever. They, they, they know what they did. And, and it's tragic. Thanks for the call, Jordan. George Naperville. Dan O'Neill forgetting the golden rule. If you save one life, you save the whole world. Yeah, thanks for the call. Uh, Glenn Oakbrook. Yeah, Happy New Year, guys. I remember emails between Fauci and Francis Collins that talked about suppressing the Great Barrington Declaration, and they also knew about the game you know, function. So I'm not buying this. I would like to, them to address the emails going on internally about this to see if they really had any integrity. Well, Glenn, thanks for the call. I tell you what, um, maybe we just need a bit of a sing-along with, uh, with Francis Collins and uh, the musical stylings of one Francis Collins. I mean, this guy could sing the phone book. Don't you recall? Somewhere past the pandemic, when we're free, there's a life I remember full of activity. Somewhere past the pandemic, masks will come off. Sing it with them. No more need for a nose swab every time we cough. As we are gathered here today, COVID's toll has hit and sent us reeling. But partners like the ones right here will help to make the pathway clear. To find a true healing oh, wow. nice Somewhere run. past the pandemic Life will resume We'll all complain about the traffic Forgetting how we hated Z. 
zoom somewhere past the pandemic we'll hug our friends and thank the people and science that brought the pandemic's end <laughs> we actually my dozen years are almost through but it's been great to work with you let's end covid now yeah oh yeah francis collins your former Woo! nih director ladies and gentlemen uh, you know what? The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah, thank you for that public service. Uh, they own the intellectual property, all of, to Francis Collins' uh, oeuvre. Um, uh, real quick, got a lot of text thing, messages. The on only this. thing, the only thing more infectious than COVID, what? Francis Collins. Yeah. Uh, Dan and Amy, they're doing this because an election is right around the corner. COVID 2.0. Sarah Glenview. Yeah, hi. There were doctors that spoke up. Uh, they had a lot of courage, uh, but uh, they ri were ridiculed, censored. They risked li their licenses getting revoked. They were persecuted, prosecuted. It was awful for the doctors who did have the courage to speak up. Uh, that's right, and um, they're going to be vindicated in that Missouri v. Biden decision forthcoming from the Supreme Court uh, people that you heard on this show and many others, but uh, we had uh, very early on, like Martin Caldor from Harvard and Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford and uh, many, many others. You're right. There were people who did stand up and took the slings and arrows for doing so, and they deserve to be, that deserves to be part of our recall uh, on this as well. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law for 30 plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank. Gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois. But you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan To have a taxpayer pay, no doubt Not a matter of if anymore, but when You're moving out I said, when you're moving out Top of the morning and top of the year, Dan and Amy uh, Hold oh. that music when you're moving out No, no when you're moving back uh, Like everybody else that's moving to Illinois Because it is a magnet for civilization and economic prosperity. That was part of the message that uh, Governor Jellybelly delivered in his annual end-of-the-year retrospective, the year 2023 that was in Illinois. Here's the governor. Hello, Illinois. This is Governor J.B. Pritzker. Here we are at the end of another year. Despite all the challenges facing the nation and the world these days, thanks to your help, We've gotten big things done right here in the best state in America. We defeated the gun lobby and banned assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. While right-wingers in other states are banning books, we stopped them cold here in Illinois by banning book bans. Overcoming Republican opposition, we raised the minimum wage, expanded mental health care, 
made childcare more affordable and available, and lowered the cost of getting a higher education degree. And while MAGA Republican extremists try to take away abortion rights, I founded Think Big America to fight back and make sure that they can't end a woman's right to make decisions about her own health care. Together, we've gotten big things done for Illinois families, but there's still so much more we must do. As we look ahead to 2024, we know we have to work to prepare for the challenges ahead. I'm ready for the fight. Thank you for your support, your tenacity, and your kindness, Illinois. Here's to another year of fighting for working families and protecting our freedoms. Wow, so moving. Thank you, Governor Pritzker. For more on that and response, we'll give uh, some rebuttal time to Ted Dabrowski, President of WirePoints, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Ted, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year, Dan. Happy New Year, Amy. Glad to be so, back. 2024. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I'll take whatever you'd like from the uh, end of the year accomplishments. Well, you know, I always say he's always so good at uh, spinning his stuff, and uh, this year is going to be a big spin year with uh, with the elections coming and with the DNC uh, in August. So you're going to hear lots of spin about how good Illinois is. But uh, you know, I think he forgot to mention that the year closed out right there at the end of the year. The um, the U.S. Census put out data that we lost population again for the third year in a row after shrinking in the, in the last decade. So whatever he says about all the good things he's doing, people are fleeing the state almost like no other state in the country. So, uh, you know, we're at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to that uh, loss of people. And uh, it's not working, whatever he thinks he's doing. Something else he said that, um, you know, it's just it gets glossed over. It's just one of the things politicians say and they usually get away with. We've lowered health care costs. Every politician is a fiscal conservative and every politician has lowered health care costs. It's funny how um, we uh, continue to accumulate more debt and unfunded liabilities and costs for things like health care continue to go up, even though every politician has lowered them. But in particular, what's the latest tally on the provision of health care services for the tens of thousands of migrants who've made their way to Illinois with a little help from the Texas governor? Well, yeah, that's that's been a, another a big number that nobody really has talked about since he uh, originally he, the, we thought we we're going to have to spend a billion dollars on Medicaid uh, for these new immigrants. Then uh, they they tried to cut that number to five hundred million in the budget so that that way they would be uh, responsible. Uh, next thing you know, we're we're over that by three hundred million, and now I haven't heard anything since then. So God knows whether we're spending a billion more. Uh, you know, it, it will be a big number, and it's not it's not contemplated in the budget. And uh, it certainly is going to come at the expense of the ordinary residents that Pritzker was meant to take care of. It's the same thing for Johnson. Well, right. Um, the, the 300, 500, 800 million, billion, um, that's taxpayer-funded health care services for people in this country, largely people in this country illegally, some pending asylum applications. But regardless— that shouldn't be here, arguably, if we had sensible policy at the border. So that between, let's say, half a billion and a billion dollars is just going to be built into what Illinoisans pay. Yeah, and then, then you start adding in things like the $95 million that uh, Johnson, Mayor Johnson just said he's going to spend from COVID money, and uh, we don't really know what that number is going to be. Then you start adding up all the, you know, the, the cost of the day-to-day of just taking care of all these people, and it's, it's going to balloon. Um, and that's, of course, on top of the, the typical problems we have with pensions and other things that no longer get discussed but continue to accrue. 
Well, Ted, what do you make of all these suburban mayors and uh, you know village trustees who are now implementing new laws to try and keep migrants out, even though you know they have the hate has no home signs here, we welcome everybody in their front yard. Shouldn't they uh, take some of this pain away from Chicago? Well, maybe they should if they continue to have their signs out and continue to be uh, uh, you know espousing those policies that they want to take care of everybody. But I think the, the reality is hitting home is that it's it's expensive to host these people. Uh, it's it's hard to take care of them. Uh, we we haven't given them. You know, we could argue about that. We haven't given them the ability to work. So you've got uh, you know even out here in Wilmette, you've got people at the, at the Jewel, at the at the uh, Whole Foods, they're begging, looking for work. So it's it, it's a real mess, and nobody wants to handle it anymore. So uh, it was easy to be to be woke about all this until the reality hit you in the face, and and these suburbs are smartly realizing they can't handle it, and they're are pushing back on Chicago. Um, right. And uh, BLM Brandon was on uh, making the rounds on CNN and Face the Nation, big star turn on Face the Nation this weekend. And uh, on CNN, you know, he had a couple of ideas about what should be done. Pathway to citizenship. Also, um, and I don't really know how this plays in, but he offered this up. In order for us to have a better, stronger and safer Chicago, it really requires the full force of government. We have stood up an, an entire office dedicated to reentry. So individuals who are returning to our communities who have been incarcerated because of failed policies, uh, we'll have a welcoming space for them. I've added a, a half a million dollars for restoration and reparations to address, again, the cycle of violence, which looks like school closings, closing of mental health facilities, of which I've invested in now. And so in order for us to build a better, stronger, safer Chicago, it requires investments. And that's what this budget has done. So are we going to set up shelters for ex-cons too what now? What is that? We got, we got our homeless yeah, shelters, yeah. we got our ex-con shelters, we got our migrant shelters. Yeah, that's that's progress for him. That's that's how you build a Chicago. And I tell you that the, the deeper we get into this, the, the worse he he comes out. Uh, you know, oftentimes, and, and I and I, it, it, it turns into word salad sometimes. But uh, he's he's stretching, he's reaching, he's he's way over his head. I think on all this, and uh, it's showing up across the board. And, and I don't think he's got he's got very little support. Obviously, he's got support from the from the extreme left. But, uh, the more and more that he does he says these extreme things uh, you know we 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 highlighted how he blamed governor abbott for the whole crisis in the country uh you know when it's abbott who's having to you know support a million people coming over that border um johnson just looks bad and uh you know i you know i tell you what's going to be interesting dan and amy is is this crisis worsens as i assume it will and crime don't know where crime goes but pritzker's got his dnc in chicago oh, yeah. in, in a few months Pritzker's not going to put up with this because Pritzker's got to protect uh, his message. You know, he just gave a, his beautiful message at the end of the year. He's got to protect it. And so, you, you know, the way that uh, Pritzker came down on Johnson with the uh, Brighton Park uh, tent city and blocked it, uh, look, for, look for Pritzker to do more. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you're going to start seeing more, more spats between the two because Johnson's got a totally different agenda than, no. than Pritzker, even though they're on the same side, even though they're on the same side. Pritzker yeah. doesn't want it to look the way Johnson does. Yeah, but that's it's that's easy to address. I mean, you do just do what uh, Governor Jelly Belly uh, always does. You, you say, and the Census Bureau says the population is declining, and he says the population's increasing. Uh, you say that uh, violence in Chicago is increasing, and they say, well, here, here's the com shop for uh, the mayor and for the political ruling class in Illinois. ABC7 Chicago, part of their comp shop. I'm quoting their tweet. 
Violence in Chicago saw a dramatic decrease this year. Some some organizations are working hard to make sure that trend continues in 2024. Everything is on the upswing. Yeah, that's such such a lie, by the way. Um, No, so so Dan, I agree with you on the messaging. The problem is going to be hiding it, right? And so so take the case of of ten cities hiding it. They're too visual. Don't uh, don't believe your lying eyes. It's just like it's like if you know. uh, somebody who's been victimized by a, a criminal in Chicago. I mean, you know, that's big city living. It doesn't mean anything about Chicago. It doesn't mean anything about the people in charge. The data, that doesn't mean anything. Listen to what Jelly Belly says. Listen to what BLM Brandon says. Don't don't listen to people talking about data. They're engaged in fear porn. They're demonizing this great city. Why are they rooting against Chicago, Tad? Why are you rooting against Illinois? That's all you have to say. By, by the way, you say that uh, you say that ABC Seven, uh, what they tweeted out is a lie. What do you mean it's a lie? Yeah, and, and they'll do that. Don't get me wrong, Dan. I get that. My only point is the, the eye candy, right? So, you know, things on the street because people are coming January 9th to do the first walkthrough for the DNC uh, at the at the United Center. So there's going to be people on the ground, and so, you know, how do you hide? the carjackings and all that stuff that goes on. There's going to be a big battle of how to clean this place up before we get there. So uh, I, I'm just saying look, look for a little more tension because uh, well, Johnson's well, not, well, 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 you don't well, think they're going to erect the tent at 115th and Halstead? I don't know. I, I, the, he, I, I guarantee Pritzker will do everything he can not to have them. Well, but well, that's far enough away. I well, mean, well wait a second. Wait a second. You, you said violence— in Chicago, saw a dramatic decrease this year. You said that's a lie. Well, what, I mean, don't just say it's not. Tell us how it's a lie. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you look at it, look, we had a 40% increase in, in major crimes from 2022, uh, from 2021 to 2022. This past year, we had another 17% increase. So we had another 12,000 major crimes over last year. And uh, so so it's another increase. Uh, it's the, the high by far since since 2019. Now the question is going to be what happens from here. But, uh, yes, murders were down 13 percent, and you're going to hear a lot about them pitching murders were down. But what you need to do is take that in context. You know, uh, Philly murders down 26 percent. Sorry, uh, Philly murders down uh, – where are my numbers? They're down like 20 percent. Numbers uh, – murders across the, the country for big cities were down 15 to 20 percent. Good governance. So, Yeah, good governance. Yeah. Murders are down. Just focus on murders and shootings. They're they're off a little bit. Not to mention the the context that's lacking here. Of course, you're talking about uh, 30 year highs uh, in 2019, Correct. and so they've come down a little bit, but they're still well above the median over the last 30 years. But of course, that's the sort of eggheaded, data driven conversations that nobody wants to have. But just listen to what ABC Seven says, and BLM Brandon says, and Jelly Belly says, and all the other. Uh, scientific uh, socialists that come to town for the DNC and don't believe your lying eyes or your bleeding appendages, right? Yeah. Well, so I found the numbers. New Orleans down 25 percent. Detroit down 18 percent. Baltimore down 22. Houston right. down 22. Philly down 21. So when they come. Good, good Democrat Trump governance. In Chicago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's what it's going to be. Look at it. It's working. Right. What, what what all these mayors are doing in all these uh, Democrat cities where violence is the most pronounced, it's working. See, we're on the right path. Now we just need to invest in these violence interrupters uh, and in and, and reparations and restorations and welcoming spaces and shelters and all that. And uh, we'll all be good. Yeah, we'll all be good.
Yeah, that's well, Dan, a very I, hopeful I, I, note. You, uh, you made a comment earlier about uh, the extremism that's going on, and uh, you know we're, we're certainly hitting the extremism in Chicago. You know, just this is a comment you're saying that Brandon Johnson has made. Are all they're all extreme? Now the question is, there's been no real opposition to like pose them uh, for you know this has been going on for a few whatever a couple of decades where there's no real opposition, which allows the left to go more and more extreme. So that is finally providing the opportunity to do a counter. The problem is no real opposition to counter it and so uh you know does 2024 change that doesn't look like it well let me tell you what's going on though to change that to change the 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 whole that make everything safer make everything better what one of the better, laws stronger, that safer. better stronger safe thank you i sorry better, i was safer. using the improper uh, axiom there um this is a law that not enough people are talking about and frankly ted i'm a little ashamed of you at wire points for Uh-oh. not addressing this, the p- potential Uh-oh. transformative impact. In Illinois, as we all know, it's long been illegal to hang an object off your rearview mirror that obstructs the driver's view. But thanks to the leadership of this state, including Governor Jelly Belly, no vehicle can be stopped and searched solely because any objects placed or suspended between the driver and the front windshield that may obstruct the driver's view. That includes things like air fresheners and even, even what? fuzzy dice. Oh, bring fuzzy that dice fuzzy dice <laughs> are legal again. You'd be set today. And all is right with the world. Oh. I, I think you know, that's, that's the transformative. That's, that's what we need is that law. They should be the, the one that swings Illinois back into in Chicago, back into the positive. Exactly right. So, again, for those living under the oppression of a world in which fuzzy dice were prohibited, uh-huh. you are free in Illinois as of yesterday in this beautiful candide that has been created by your duly elected officials. So congratulations to you and all of you. And with that... We kick off the new year. Ted Dabrowski, president, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Thank you, Ted, as always. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Not much really changed over the holidays. We saw, as we've discussed at great length this morning, the migrant drop-offs continue in Chicagoland, extending out to uh, the suburbs and exurbs. We saw the uh, violence continue unabated in Chicago. Also something extending to the suburbs and exurbs. And we've seen the uh, pro-Hamas protesters occupying uh, the uh, access to modes of transportation from Uh, roadways to airports over the holidays as well. The day before, on the eve of Christmas Eve, they shut down I-90 into O'Hare. I thought, I mean, if I was in that line, I don't know what I would have done. And then they were charging up the hill with a Palestinian flag, and there was a Hamas flag. Like, what? Arrest them now. People are trying to drop loved ones off at the airport and pick up loved ones that were coming home for college. At JFK and other airports as well. 
Uh, this is the uh, New Republic's take on where things stand in the Middle East. A uh, piece by uh, Hafiz Rashid, New Republic. So this is one of the outlets of record for the new Marxists, in my view. The headline, Benjamin Netanyahu is the war criminal of the year. Experts aren't mincing words about the Israeli leader's brutal and disproportionate response to the October 7th Hamas attacks. And, of course, uh, that's a view that apparently is held uh, somewhat widely within the State Department of the Big Guys administration. Thus, this uh, push and pull about exactly the messaging from the U.S. to Netanyahu as to uh, Israel's campaign to eradicate said terrorist organization, Hamas. But what does that say about where the left is and continues to be? And I'm not just talking about uh, these uh, mostly uh, ill-informed and overeducated young people on college campuses who then uh, spread out into the world and uh, lay down on expressways and in front of uh, airport terminals. I'm also I'm t- talking about the the alleged thinking class of the left, as exemplified by the staff at the New Republic. What does that say? For more on that question and others, please be joined by Eugene Konarovich, head of the International Law Department at the Colette Policy Forum, which is a Jerusalem think tank. Professor at George Mason University's Scalia Law School as well. Professor Konarovich, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Uh, What about that New Republic headline, uh, BB is the war criminal of the year? Uh, There's a horrible exercise of projection in trying to blame and victim blaming in trying to blame Israel for exactly what's been done to it. That is to say, the Hamas invasion of Israel on October 7th, accompanied by massive killing of purposeful killing of civilians, burning families alive together, decapitations and sexual brutality that can't even be described on a family radio station, is clearly one of the greatest war crimes in you know that occurred in a Western country in in modern memory, and so the instinctive influence in, uh, instinct. of those who think that only uh, so-called oppressed peoples of which Jews are not entitled to account themselves can be victims is to blame, of course, the victim, which is in this case Israel. And to say that Israel, the victim of these great war crimes, is in fact the perpetrator. And that lets you change the subject from October 7th. And of course, it's baseless. Israel has fought the most uh, careful and the most precise war of any army fighting in an urban situation. Uh, of the you know, maybe 20,000 casualties, up to half of them are Hamas, despite Hamas doing everything they can to maximize civilian casualties. That is better than America has ever achieved in urban combat. Oh, can we believe those numbers? The, uh, we can't know them precisely. We do know that Israel you know, claims that it has killed you know, a few a week ago, maybe 8,000, probably now 9,000 Hamas fighters, which means that the number of civilian dead will be, you know, the number total number of dead will be greater than that. If it is 20,000, that's a, a miracle, because typically, you know, ratios of uh, 
military to civilians is one to three or worse in urban conflict. And of course, Hamas is doing everything it can to uh, run up the death toll of its own civilians to turn world opinion against Israel. And I think basically what I would say about the New Republic headline is it's the, the New Republic headline is in a sense the reason civilians are getting killed in Gaza. Because the reason civilians are getting killed in Gaza is Hamas is putting them in harm's way. Hamas is hiding behind them, knowing that it will, uh, it will awake the sympathy of Western progressives. And the New Republic is rewarding that strategy, meaning Hamas is going to double down on it. Uh, you, you talk about victim blaming. It's an interesting, um, interesting uh, aspect of this discussion. Barton Swaim had a good piece over the holidays in the Wall Street Journal connecting, uh, quote-unquote, anti-racism, the uh, identity politics of the Ibram Kendis and Ta-Nehisi Coates of the world, and, and thus the left, the race identity politics, uh, to anti-Semitism. And he talks about the need to blame someone. Uh, this is not the first experience where the Jews have been blamed, uh, the need to blame someone. As Swain writes, past eruptions of anti-Semitism usually erode from the need to blame someone, anyone, for the cataclysmic failures of a ruling political class. In Russia in the 1880s and 90s, malcontents equated Jews with Marxists and communists, blamed them for political instability. The uh, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, the 1903 forgery purporting to reveal a Jewish conspiracy to rule the globe, was a gift to any people wishing to account for its ruin without self-criticism. Germans, after World War I, sought a reason for their military humiliation and economic immiseration, and we know where that went, just to cite two examples. And so here we have another example of this, and it's sort of an extension of, as Swaim argues, demonizing people because they're successful, which is the same thing that um, the reparation sort of anti-racist crowd do. Yeah, I think in this case, there is a, some, some impulse amongst progressives to blame Israel because the only alternative is, of course, to blame the Palestinians. And that would mean blaming what they, I mean, it, I think it's nonsense. Uh, you know, Jews and, and Arabs are uh, racially identical, but all Caucasians, but they see them as some kind of uh, different race or uh, oppressed mm -hmm. people. And uh, in, the, in, in the woke Bible, the oppressed can do no wrong. So it's a category. It's a category thing. The, the Palestinians wound up in the register of uh, recognized oppressed peoples, which means even when they uh, burn mothers and children alive together, they must be the ones who are suffering. Do you, do you think that um, we're getting the requisite cultural pushback that uh, meets the moment when it comes to what we've seen on college campuses, particularly the elite, the quote-unquote elite colleges or status colleges, what we're seeing from uh, leftist media like we're talking about with the New Republic, what we're seeing from um, the uh, uh, members of Congress like Rashida Tlaib, are we getting the requisite cultural pushback that is proportional to the the, the threat that's being presented? Um, I think uh, I mean there are different levels of threat. Uh, you know, the New Republic is a is a niche uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. intellectual journal which I don't know, which doesn't pose much of a threat. Um, it does seem to be the case that the Democratic Party can harbor. Uh, you know, small but not insignificant um, caucus of genocide apologists uh, and not feel the need to 
discipline them or expel them. Uh, and you know, Hamas is the is the ISIS of uh, of the region. It is the new ISIS. And to imagine if uh, you know Republicans justified or celebrated the Ku Klux Klan, uh, I cannot imagine they would stay long in Congress. So there's there's some kind of immunity that they get. Um, on the other hand, you know, much of the Democratic Party has you know reacted positively, uh, and I think the center of the Democratic Party is in a good place on this. But they seem completely unable to deal with their or discipline their progressive flank. As for the colleges, uh, you know, these uh, so-called uh, elite institutions, these legacy institutions, have been revealed to be massive frauds, both on a moral level and in the and in the case of Harvard, which apparently has no problem with a serial plagiarist as president, you know, uh, frauds on a very on a very literal level. Um, the, but, the, you know, pushback, it's not enough to simply see what they've done wrong. Uh, people need to be ready for an alternative. And the real question is whether all those who are disgusted with Harvard would take the next step of, you know, not sending their children there or not applying there or not being impressed by it. So, you know, I think we're at the stage of being horrified by these institutions. But uh, a correction will only come when we move on to the stage of seeing that they're, in fact, not necessary. There are better ways to spend four years of one's life. Um, that is going to take, I think, you know, a, a significant psychological judgment, ju adjustment on the part of the nation's elites. He is Eugene Konarovich, head of the International Law Department at the Colette Policy Forum, which is a think tank in Jerusalem, and a professor at George Mason University's Scalia Law School. Professor Konarovich, thanks, as always, for joining us. Appreciate it. Great pleasure, Ben. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, top of the year, Dan and Amy, and uh, apparently uh, Amy started the year off uh, running into the long arm of Johnny Law. I know, I missed the first part of the show because I got pulled over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another crime spree. Dun, 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 dun. A mom in a minivan wreaking havoc to all of Chicago. I was actually, I thought I was getting pulled over for driving too slow in the left lane. You should. Uh, you, if you did, I would have. I would uh, be a witness for the state. I mean, so then he pulled me over, but I didn't. You know, I didn't go easily because there's not a lot of shoulder space, and I thought, God, if I pull over here, he could get killed. So I drove a little bit. I was kind of following me, and I'm like, No, I'm pulling over. I was waving out the window. So it was a police chase. I for a little bit. We were going to yeah. Canfield, so I got off at Canfield. Well, like and, a slow motion, like Al Collins driving because your car exactly. only goes 45 miles an hour. Pulled me over, and I was wondering, oh, was I going too slow in the left lane, officer? What He said, ma'am, you have an expired plate. And I'm like, I do? I have an expired plate? And I said, oh, I'm just. How did he, how did he know you are a woman? Oh, please. I gave him my driver's so a little license. presumptuous. So I just, you know, and I showed him my proof of insurance. I had my hands up on the dashboard, you know. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get, this is it. I'm going to get pinched. I said, well, officer. Hard work in Chicago, and I have two jobs. I'm just oh, trying to God. get to work. Sob story. Yeah. And he says, Do you work at the airport, right? Are you a flight attendant? I'm like, Well, thank you. I think that might be a compliment, but no. He's I saying that because you're old, not because you're hot. <laughs> it's just changed now. The profile flight attendant's not the same. I know. 
So I wasn't sure if it was a compliment or something else. And he, guess what he did? Full I, body cavity search? No. I got a warning, a written warning. Really? This is how you do it, Dan. That's how, and I said, no, I'm on my way to Elk Grove to do a radio show. I'm a co-host. Oh, yeah, Dan there you Prof. go. I don't yeah. know who I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> No big deal, uh, officer. Uh, just, you know, I just have a radio show to do, AM 560. We're very pro-law enforcement. <laughs> I just thought, I mean, but, you know, hey, whenever. Take your time. Yeah. He said, I'm going to go very back subtle. to my car so you can call USAA Insurance and get your, you know, insurance identification, which I did, and they got it to me within seconds. Um, came back, but he gave me the written warning. So that's how you do it, Dan, okay? We have the, um, we actually got the uh, call that was made by the officer, that state police, uh, tr- that state trooper. Uh, when he pulled you over, take a listen. What's your handle, son? My handle is Smokey Bear, and I'm tail grabbing your ass right now. It's, I didn't know Jackie Gleason was still on the force. Yeah, no, so today i got to go to a currency exchange and, you know, take care of that. But I said to him, I said, I don't have an unpaid parking ticket. I pay all my utilities on time. I, oh, my God. This must have, I he, must see, have. He's just like, if you stop talking, can I uh, write you a warning? Is that what he said? And I have to get my front headlight. Too, I guess apparently that's out. So I'm yeah. breaking all kind of rules around here. Yeah. All right. Big bad mama yep. on the loose. Mom in uh. a minivan. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, We discussed this a bit earlier in the program, but it bears revisiting because uh, our next guest has just uh, produced a documentary, and I want to get uh, her reaction to it and the reaction she thinks some of the subjects she interviewed for her documentary would have to it. Talking about former NIH director Francis Collins, Tony Fauci's partner in crime, uh, in a recent uh, panel discussion he had about the decision-making that was made at the height of COVID over the last three years. And uh, former NIH director Collins had this to say. Not that, that's him singing, but he had this to say. As a guy living inside the Beltway, feeling the sense of crisis, trying to decide what to do in some situation room in the White House with people who had data that was incomplete, we weren't really thinking about what that would mean uh, to Wilk and his family uh, in Minnesota, uh, a thousand miles away from where the virus was hitting so hard. We weren't really considering the consequences in communities that were not New York City or, or some other big city. The public health people, we talked about this earlier, and this is a really important point. If you're a public health person and you're trying to make a decision, you have this very narrow view of what the right decision is, and that is something that will save a life. Doesn't matter what else happens. So you attach infinite value uh, to stopping the disease and saving a life you attach a zero value to whether this actually totally disrupts people's lives, ruins the economy, and has many kids kept out of school in a way that they never quite require. Collateral damage. So there, yeah, collateral damage. This is a public health mindset. And I think a lot of us involved in trying to make those recommendations had that mindset. And that was really unfortunate. It's another mistake we made. 
Okay. Uh, is that uh, a fair explanation such that we can all say mistakes were made and move on? For uh, reaction to that, please be joined by Jennifer Say, former president of the Levi's brand, until she publicly opposed the closure of San Francisco's public schools at the height of said pandemic. She's also a retired member of the U.S. Women's National Gymnastics Team, producer of the Emmy-winning film Athlete <clears throat> A, author of the book Levi's Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob Took My Job It Gave Me My Voice, and, as I mentioned, the documentary... Generation COVID, the documentary film. Generation COVID, the documentary film. And uh, you can go to givesendgo.com, Generation COVID film, to support the distribution of this documentary. Jennifer Say, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning. So uh, how do you react to what uh, Francis Collins had to say? Oh, oh, my goodness. Where do I start? Um First of all, yeah, we know that's all you were thinking about. And we said it. We said you're not considering um, the collateral harm. And, you know, for him to just say, they did know. They didn't care. And they came after us. Anyone who challenged and said exactly what he just said, that you're not considering the children. You're not considering uh, the small business owner. You're not considering the old folks who are isolated and alone and the mental health and all of this. And they came for us. You know, he orchestrated a devastating takedown, as he called it, of the great Barrington Declaration authors. So, the, you know, the, the writers um, of a document that just basically said we need to protect the vulnerable and let everybody else have their lives. They positioned them as, you know, as quacks and fringe epidemiologists, despite being from esteemed organizations like, you know, Harvard, Stanford, and Oxford. Um, so, I, you know, he says this is if we're supposed to excuse him, it's inexcusable. It didn't care. They knew and they didn't care about the harms that would be done. And if this is the public health mindset, then my view is to hell with public health. We don't need them because they aren't actually considering the public's overall health. But he didn't apologize. He just said they made a mistake. And that doesn't sit. Well yeah, exactly. With no. Well, and even if apologized at this point it wouldn't sit well with me these people made terrible decisions um they're going to cause lifelong harms for young people and i can get to that in a second in terms of the children we um followed and interviewed for our documentary they didn't care um so no he doesn't apologize and it's not an honest mistake um there were people sounding the alarm and telling them like they can't just say we didn't know Right. There were people out there that were sounding the alarm and they were saying people, respectable people, doctors, scientists, epidemiologists, they were saying this is not the way to go. And rather than engage in dialogue and conversation, which would be the scientific method, um, they smeared them and they tried to take them down. So it is it's inexcusable. And again, if this is the mindset of public health, then I don't think we need public health as an organization because they aren't, in fact, considering the public's overall health. Well, it's also disingenuous what he says when he compares uh, we're focused on saving lives, essentially, the public health professionals were. 
exactly. and others were focused on economic concerns or educational development concerns. And the conversation was, yes, it included the, the those sorts of issues, but it was always lives for lives. The, the real criticism was right. you are going to cost more lives than you're going to save. And that's what he sort of glosses over, too, which I don't appreciate because he makes it sound like people who are being critical of public health are choosing dollars and cents or right. their kids' educational development over other lives. And that's not true. Yeah, I mean, what he fails to speak to, which many of us at the time said is that curtailing a child's developmental and educational opportunity does impact um, the length of their life. It impacts their opportunity. We know the children who do not graduate from high school um, are they're four times more likely to end up in, in jail. Um, their, life, their lives are shorter. Their earning potential is shorter. Their quality of their life while they are alive is um, much, much poorer. They're more likely to, to live in poverty. So it, it's it is completely disingenuous. You're right because we are talking about um, saving lives by enabling education, and they took that away from kids. And the ones that are the most vulnerable, the kids living um, in poverty, the poorest children, are the ones whose lives are impacted and yes, shortened because of it. So long after adults, you know, resume their lives, we went back to restaurants, bars, clubs, packed stadiums. Children were still at home in virtual school. Yeah. So. You wrote this documentary. I've talked to you about it before, and we both have, Dan and I, uh, Generation COVID. Tell people, the kids that you interviewed, from what part of America and what you learned. Yeah, I mean, we tried to represent the broadest geography and the broadest swath of children and families across America. And we followed about 10 children for over a year to understand how this has impacted their lives over time. Um, it's mostly teenagers that we spoke to, although there are a few younger children in the film. And it's, you know, like I said, it's children from New York, Oregon, Colorado. Uh, we have kids from rural communities and urban communities. We have children with developmental disabilities. Um, we have families that lost a child to suicide, a young man in Connecticut who took his life after um, being home on Zoom for a full year. Um, we have another family in Colorado uh, from a lower income uh, family. Her, her daughter started to just stray without the kind of structure and community of school. And she ended up losing her life uh, to an accidental overdose at just 14 years old. So, I mean, it's completely tragic. School, as one of the parents says in the film, it's so much more than education. It's everything when you're a child. It's your community. It's where you get positive feedback. Um, it's all of the structure you have in your day. It's where you do activities and play sports. Um, if you're having a tough day and a teacher gives you some encouragement that lifts you up, we took all of that from these children. And to your point, Amy, you know, adults were able to go to fully packed stadiums. Um, kids were still still onerously, onerously restricted a full year, half of America's public school children, a year after schools first closed. That's 25 million children were still not in school. And so a year who, after that, they were still in disrupted school. It's completely insane. So who do the parents uh, put the onus on? Because, uh, you know, part of this discussion, and, and we've been having it for um, a long time now, since the beginning, and it continues, is the reckoning and the reckoning that really hasn't occurred. I mean, there's there's some people that have offered mea culpas, genuine mea culpas, yeah. and have have been, you know sort of come over. And there's people that have been sort of deprogrammed through um, 
I don't know, through just through through not being afraid anymore and through then really consuming information and thinking about things and that happens. Um, but but when in terms in terms of shot callers at the government level, in government schools, in government public health agencies, in government offices, there really hasn't been much of a, a political reckoning. So I wonder where these no. parents uh, put the blame. Well, I think there's plenty to go around, and I think the way they structured the decision-making, they all sort of did it with plausible deniability. I didn't decide public health did. Public health says, well, we just issued guidelines. It was the government leaders that decide. But you have somebody like Gavin Newsom saying, well, I, you know, it wasn't my choice. I left it to um, the local school district, which is a lie, and I left it to, um, to public health. Then you have the unions who, you know, stood in the way and refused to go back. And I, you know, that's three cohorts that I think all deserve a ton of blame. But the fourth, which I think is not talked about enough, is the press. Because the press, as the fourth estate, their job is to interrogate these issues. And they did nothing of the sort. They printed public health press releases as if they were fact and as if they were news. Um, and so I think the press deserves a ton of, of blame here as well. You know, three years later, three and a half years later, the New York Times decides to publish an op-ed a couple of months ago, you know, calling out the startling impacts of the prolonged school closures. Well, for those of us who were there from the beginning, there's nothing startling about this, but they neglected to do their job. They didn't do it. They carried water for um democratic government they carried water for public health and they did no interrogating of the issue so i think there's plenty of blame to go around and i think the only um way to make change in the in the future is for parents to stand up and use their voices there were not enough people who took to the street to to, to protest this there just were not because they were afraid of being smeared like i was but we need to do it and if we do it together um it won't happen again but i fear there's not enough people willing willing to do that still well i just i, mean, I just oh. wonder if there's any parent uh, of a of a young person you interviewed who said and because of this i'm running for school board because of this we're focused oh, yeah. on this local official those you know to that that where people are taking uh concrete action yeah that's a great question and the the whole sort of final third of the film is really focused on that the way that parents are motivated and activated um, the school choice movement has grown leaps and bounds. Parents are motivated to run for school board. They're engaged actively. They're showing up at school board meetings in ways they never did before. Um, they're pulling their kids from the public school system um, because they want alternatives. But look, the rug was pulled out from under them. There is a, you may believe in the public schools, you may not, but there is a social contract and parents rely on the school system to educate their children, and that was taken away from them for, for more than two years. Well, they're not going to stand by and let that happen again. So, yeah, absolutely. Parents are, are protesting on the local level. They're making their voices heard. They're running for school board. They're actively engaged, um, and they're, they're fighting back. They don't want to see this ever happen again. Uh, parents are absolutely motivated in all sorts of ways. But do you, I mean, you know, there's, that's the inspiring piece. True, but I think it's coming back. I mean, mask mandates are now implemented at Rush Hospital starting today. At what L.A. County, Dan, you said they're hospital. They're having mask mandates, which I believe then might lead to capacity okay. limits, which might lead to remote learning. I mean, are you fearful that this is going to happen again because it's already starting? I absolutely am, because as you mentioned, there has not really been a reckoning. There's been acknowledgement that. Okay, the learning loss and the mental health impacts have been devastating, but it's sort of like 
okay, it, it was, it's terrible this happened, but there was no other way. There's not an acknowledgement and a repudiation of the tactics that were utilized that caused all of this. There's not a, these people made this decision, these decisions, and they can never happen again. And, oh, by the way, these people cannot have their jobs. The, you know, Barbara Ferrer, who's the L.A. County Public Health, whatever, she's still in charge. Yeah. So you know, we can't stop. And it's not enough to acknowledge the harms done. It needs to be acknowledged and embraced that these harms were done. They were unnecessary. These tactics were terribly um, dangerous for our children and for our even, you know, beyond the kids. I mean, I'm obviously focused on the kids, but small business owners, the elderly, everybody. I mean, the isolation, all of it has affected us all. This can never happen again. And we are very far um, from from having made that clear, because if we make that clear, it, it is inevitable that you have to make the decision that the people who made those decisions can no longer be in office or in power. And we are nowhere near that. Speaking of that, what uh, where are you in your political journey? Because I remember when we first talked to you about uh, being bounced from Levi's that, uh, you know, you you said you look, I'm, I was a woman of the left in San Francisco and so on and so forth. And sort of moving to the middle and so I wonder I just wonder where you are I feel like I don't fit on the <laughs> the right left continuum um you know I I'm an independent here in Colorado which you know I join over 40 percent of my fellow citizens here and being an independent so I'm in good company I'm going to make my voting decisions on the issues that matter to me I don't fully align with either side and I don't think I need to um, but I'll tell you, I certainly won't vote for anyone who didn't stand up for children um, during COVID. I won't uh, vote for anyone who constricted our speech, our right to gather. Look, I don't think the right was particularly good. They were better than the left on COVID. But let's face it, Trump was in charge. Yeah, He, he was not great on this. You know, he let Fauci have the bully pulpit here. And so I'm not particularly pleased um, with that cohort either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll just, you know, make decisions based on the issues and, and, and I'll prioritize the things that matter most to me, um, which is probably going to be a little bit heterodox and not line up with either side. Jennifer Say is the former president of Levi's brand. Uh, the book she wrote about that, Levi's Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob Took My Job It Gave Me My Voice. She's also producer of an Emmy Award-winning film entitled Athlete A, former retired, uh, former member of the U.S. Women's National Gymnastics Team. Her new film that we've been discussing, Generation COVID, the documentary film, Generation COVID is the film, and you can support the film at givesendgo.com slash generationcovidfilm. Jennifer Say, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me again. Happy New Year to you both. Thank you, Jennifer. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.